This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Steve Jorgensen and for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. I'm visiting today with Alfred Leonardchuk to discuss his book, Briex, Dead Man's Story. Alfred, welcome to the program. Thank you for inviting me. The last part of your book, which is 250 pages or 258 pages in length, you recount the day that you boarded a plane for Toronto. Boarding a plane to Toronto, you uh, purchased an airport stationary pad, and uh, we were, you were beginning to reflect on this story that you've penned. And you begin to question yourself whether this story that you're about to recount or, or make notes on was fact or fiction. And assuming that dead people can't speak, how close to reality could this story be? And your response to yourself was, maybe I would never find the answer, and then you began to write. This story is based on fact. Is all the content factual, or is there a measure of fiction also included in your story? The, the story is facts. That means the Briex story uh, was the biggest scam in gold mining industry ever. And that happened from 1994 to 1997. Uh, I know it because my company, which I was a chairman at that time, in Norca Resources, uh, we had a financial interest with original owners of uh, of the property in Indonesia. We had operation in Indonesia. However, we never went to, to own the property. Uh, this is one of our property. And we never had a technical data. So can you imagine that you have a company which starts at 25 cents and become uh, a star uh, on Toronto Stock Exchange, New York Stock Exchange, for over $270. Now, from nothing to over $6 billion. So, of course, that was every day the news and media was just talking about. Now, I know the story. How was that built? How done well this company? However, in the end, when the mining company Freeport become a partner forced by Indonesian government to start operation, building our operation the mine, they've done due diligence to re-drill back some of the holes, and they find it that there's absolutely no gold. This is gigantic hoax. So can you imagine all the collapse, all the fears, all, all the situation which, which went through every day in TV, in media, etc. was just the story of bricks. Now, this is not ordinary scam, not like Ponzi shame or, or Madoff, etc. In this story, nobody ever was charged or sentenced. And the principals of the company are living quite comfortable life, including the supporters and, uh, and bankers. And why? Because the main accusé, the main person who done that, uh, Filipino origin geologist with all his geologist teams, he commits suicide. He jumped from helicopter in Borneo jungle. So, after all the legal cases, everything finally, after 10, 15 years, was closed. The main accuser, the guy who made that, is dead. So, no, the dead people have no value for the course. 
Now, is that... why is my story dead man's story? Because one day uh, last year, that's no, 2012, in February in Rome, when we have a place there, I met the man called Akiro Guzzo, who was interesting in me. I met him in actually in, a, in one of the churches. I just went to visit it. And he invited me for lunch. So we spent the whole day, and he told me the, exactly the story of Michael de Guzman, the infamous geologist who jumped from the, uh, from the, from the helicopter to the jungle, with all the details, how was that done, who was responsible, how did it end, and how actually he allegedly died. Now, is this the Akira Guzzo who telling me the story of somebody else? But this is Michael de Guzman, alias Akira Guzzo today. You know, he did change, he's not the same, he's now not 40, he's 57, and we talking all day and all evening, okay, we had a few glasses of wine, so that's why we, together with conversation, did create a, a situation in which we uh, put ourselves in year 1997, how it was done, how everything happened, and that's what... I cannot verify that. I cannot go through the files. I cannot go through the uh, stories what he told me. That is a part, is a fiction. I cannot confirm that this is a fact. But this is based on the facts. And today, we all will ask ourselves questions. Is that true? Is that magic? Is that, <laughs> that just a story or fiction? However, the details of that, uh, of that story, the way how was all described by him to me, the way how we discussed, it's amazing. It's just fascinating. And and all the previous reports, all the course reports, all the TV series, uh, books, etc., were, were all off track. Nobody ever could imagine that what was done that way. That's why it's so fascinating. As I say, I have to write this story. This is This is too much. Have you had conversations with Akiro since your meeting in uh, in Rome? Oh, uh, I cannot tell that at this moment. That's really part of another story, and uh, it's in progress. Uh, perfect cliffhanger for an author to uh, to put out there for the listeners. Uh, but this is true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it is. How long did it take you to to get the facts together to publish this book? I I did. I did actually wrote some of my memories just uh, before, but was not in sensational. I just, just uh, for my son, for friends, etc. Everybody was asking me to to, to write the stories. But maybe more because I was very, very much connected in Indonesia, and because Indonesian government was forcing the company to give them uh, 45% in that deposit. Well, can you imagine, 45%, it's not nothing. For 200 million ounces, you're talking 90 million ounces, and 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 $1,000 an ounce, uh, make it math. This is humongous. This is extraordinary values. So uh, you can imagine Suharto government, which uh, this story was announced as a debt. That means that uh, there's no gold. Uh, three months later, Suharto government collapsed. In, this was March and July, Suharto government collapsed. So all his cronies, all his military, all his police, etc., did have a uh, part in, in, in this extraordinary story. All of a sudden, they, they, they went empty-handed. 
So a lot of people asked me to write the story because I did play golf with uh, President Suharto and I was invited there because they want to have uh, some kind of intelligent knowledge about the situation of the Canadian mining, international mining, etc. And uh, I, I do speak their language, so uh, I, I was, you know, I was very liked by, by them and all those, those people. So I, I, I wrote that kind of memories. However, this story, uh, I start to write, and after I say, I, I, I show my wife and uh, talk about it, she said, no, we're living good life, why don't you try to dig in that story? So then I talk with John Inc., who, who is a guru in gold, and who was involved, who was my financier, he's got a Maison Plasma in Canada, and, and Brookage House, investment house in Toronto, and he said, tremendous, write the story, and actually he, in the first page, he, he, he wrote me a testimonial about it. He said, this is phenomenally, phenomenal story, this is something what we're waiting for, because you disclose how actually was done, who did it, on which circumstances. And also, surprisingly, the personage, the character of Michael de Guzman is not corresponding to the description of all the previous statements about him. He had a, he had a double life and maybe a triple life and he was much smarter than a lot of people believe. Well, I, I took for me as, as a just, a thinking that somebody who in, for, for four years can fool all the investment bankers, all the Wall Street, all the journalists, all the analysts, and, and make a gold deposit, you know. Gold deposit is not treasure hunting. The nature has to build. Well, himself, he built a fake deposit. It's, it's not a small one, and fool everybody in that. So he must be tremendously uh, intelligent, well-organized, and yet nobody ever saw that way. And also, we have to also say one thing. Uh, from my story, uh, nobody ever knew how much money was made and who was participating and who was really victims. Well, he described, that's been Mercure Woodson, described extremely well participants, the organizers, the way how it was done. So, you know, no one scam can made be by one person. Even made of them, Ponzi, they, they, they always start from modest uh, sizes until vast participation of the supporters or give them, you know, uh, rich and famous status. So this was very similar and and nobody ever actually digged to that side of the story. So that's why this is dead man's story uh, represents kind of reflection that uh, we have to be aware for next uh, next story which will come like that. And they, the scams in financial market are coming and going and leaving uh, many victims who, who, who in the end uh, don't know what's really what's going on. So in this, especially in this story, that nobody ever faced the charges. Nobody ever was sentenced, and and Bob Sherman, the principal organizer uh, of the company, is still alive, very well, in living in Cayman, and others, and other supporters, etc. Because one man was sacrificed, died. Now, did he really die? That's what the story is, and I'm still amazing. It is an amazing story, and the way you've uh, approached this, it's as a narrative. It sounds or begins to read almost like a fiction. But then you realize this is based on facts, so it's not a research book. It's actually a story that will take you into the middle of it. It's it's wonderfully done. And gold has been a fascinating substance for centuries and millennia. 
And people are always fascinated by the lure of gold, and that's what enticed people. One of the interesting facts that you mention in here is that if all of the gold that had been mined in the history of the existence of the world, it would only fill two Olympic-sized swimming pools. Is that still accurate? It's still accurate. That's we, amazing. You know, we don't mine that much gold now. Today, our, our production is going down, and the appetite and demand is growing. And we have to also say that after Second World War, we, we made probably around half of this gold production. But gold absolutely is fascinating metal and, and is used as a monetary system, is used as a hedge, is used as a reserve, and was used for generation also, you know, we, we're making, uh, wars, uh, because of, because of gold and, uh, sometimes the woman, sometimes <laughs> some political reason. I was just back in Cartagena and, uh, this is beautiful city and I had a, a very nice conversation with with uh, officials of the Biennale and with the people, and I just told them, you know, this you have beautiful. They were so proud, this beautiful city, etc. But this city was built because what? Because of gold. The Spaniards came there because there was gold there, and they didn't dig nowhere. They just dig in the tombs of Sino uh, population who was living there before, and they just steal the gold from there. And uh, it's still fascinating. So everywhere on the streets you have a James, you have a uh, Esmeralda, and gold. So it is fascinating. It's not dying and will never die. The uh, story, Briex, what was the most unbelievable, in your mind, discovery that you made or the most exciting scene that's in your book? It's actually how all this began. Because everybody was thinking that the scam was kind of premeditated, organized, well organized by the officials of the company. Well, according to the story of Aki, that's absolutely not like that. And that was amazing, and that was surprising even for me. I didn't see that way the, the infamous George Michael Guzman. Uh, everywhere he described as a as a very bad, nasty, scam organizer, uh, lonely uh, geologist walking in a jungle to trying to find his way and supporting by the financial scammers. That was absolutely not the same. That's a different person. That's a, also the facts of of love, or uh, loveless family, and uh, he's also <clears throat> some kind of dedication to his church because he was very religious. And that's nobody ever saw that. Neither me. I I met him several times, and uh, I had the impression that she's just uh, a tobby, uh, funny, uh, womanizer, heavy drinker, and uh, not well organized person. But the, the other side, I'm, I'm engineer. I know mining. I know geology. I was always thinking, you know, how come uh, such a how to say marginal person couldn't make such a phenomenally organized scam. And not in one overnight, over the years, with visits all the analysts and media and was even filmmaking and government involvement, regulators, stock exchanges, uh, you know, financial uh, financial companies, which has their own analysts, they have the, the best possible people in that business, they couldn't find anything. So I, I was amazed. I said, oh, I am fascinating that this story, what he told me, 
it's I rather buy that story than the story official. I, in reading just what I have and and overviewing of your book, think this would make a great movie. <laughs> I, it just it just fascinating that something of this magnitude could transpire and confuse and and deceive so many. What is the underlying message you want readers to take away from this story? Maybe the the, the most important is is for next generation. I have a son who is twenty six and he's a assets management with, uh, in in very large companies. They manage billions, and they manage billions of the. Of the money which don't belong to them. This is, these are pension funds, these are mutual funds, those are, are government funds, etc. Well, for those people, they have to watch, they have to be very aware, they have to make their due diligence. They cannot be so easy fooled by everybody else. The message is very easy that there's a next scam coming and next victims who are gonna cry. So for me, and also we have to sometimes value the, the the people in it and no one scam was made by one person so we that's mean we all industry all the people if we start to over believe that's when we can get caught so the message is you know i'm not here to making too much um, um social messages etc i just want to tell the story and the reader can can just Put message for himself and in his own way, but definitely is a is a fascinating thing that uh, you know. Especially you can discover two hundred million ounces gold with overnight disappear. It's not like a magic, and and nobody ever saw anything, and, and nobody is sentenced. And yeah, no one was sentenced. That part mm -mm. is fascinating. Thank you for sharing this insight on the story you have penned, titled Briex, Dead Man's Story." Alfred Leonardchuk. Thank you for joining me today, sir. Where can we get a copy of this book? I will send you right now, after this interview. Thank you, Leonard. And where can other people get a copy of your book? Oh, they can have a copy everywhere. Amazon, Borson Novels, uh, uh, everywhere. Everywhere. Ebook, uh, Auto House, everywhere you have that. And you have some hidden cards. You're planning to write another novel or two. You've already written one. What's the oh, next not, next one on the hidden. project? No, I'm partly retired, living a good life and... Uh, I was always, that was always my dream to become a writer, a journalist, historian. But, you know, I was born in Poland. That was impossible at the time. So I went to engineering school. And my father said to me, you know, uh, you writing and histor history can be a hobby. You know, you have to have a bread and butter. So go to engineering school. But he was right. So, but now at 60, I, I still have a time to write. And, and, uh, yes, I have in, and this moment in preparation of eventually will be then the, the saga of it depends. And as you previously said, this is material for the movie. Yes, and this moment we are uh, preparing the, presenting that, that story to some, uh, scriptwriters and uh, producers, etc. Yeah, I would love that to see, to, 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 to see that on the screen. Well, I'll be second in line to uh, to view that movie if uh, if it ever gets produced. It looks like a wonderful story and a great read. 258 pages. The title again is Briex, Dead Man's Story. Alfred Lenerchuk, thank you, sir, for joining me today. Thank to you and to the all you listeners. For Author Talk, this is J. Douglas Barker. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. 
Hi everybody, this is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, The Pop-Up Kid, Secret Memoirs of the Intentionally Abused. And the author is Noah Jacobson, and Noah joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Noah. Hello. Great to have you with us all the way from Germany. This is a deep look behind the hidden doors of the unknown... Uh, leaving the reader with fears and questions about the many unseen events that are going on all around us at times. Um, and you experienced, let's see, how many near deaths, Noah? Uh, about 15. 15 to this date, and we'll get into yes. some of uh, those as well. And uh, many unexplainable rescues, uh, and then, of course, uh, terrible abuse from okay. a... I don't know. She really wasn't your stepmom. She was the step-girlfriend, I guess. Yes, that's right. But, you know, a a life filled with what may have seen right on on the surface must must have seen because your father and mother were so popular. Tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, them and then uh, that first incredible event on your sixth birthday. Yes. Well, my father was uh, quite... Uh, the athlete. He was chosen by uh, the army. To, uh, he was chosen to represent the army in the Olympics, and so he was always uh, in the training atmosphere. And and um, uh, my mother was a singer, and she she had sung for a very popular group in those days uh, called the Orioles. And um, so they both were in the limelight, and um, so they received a, 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 a an enormous amount of attention from outside entities because of this. And because of this, also, we had the opportunity, uh, as you might imagine, this is uh, the 60s, 1963, uh, we had a, the opportunity to travel a great deal because my father was in the Army and had special privileges because of his uh, uh, athletic abilities. But um, sadly, in 1963, uh, my father suffered an accident while high jumping, uh, and he landed over the sandbox that he should land in while high jumping and he landed in the street broke both legs and uh, so we were on the way to the hospital to visit him uh, on June 25th 1963 which happened to be my birthday and uh, it was warm in the car on this day uh, outside of uh, Fort Greeley Alaska and uh, my mother had asked if I would roll down the window in the car to let some air in I was sitting behind her and uh, so she couldn't see really what was going on behind her I went to open the window, and uh, 
Because I was so excited, I believe, that she had asked me in the first place uh, to open the window, I went to do it, and I grabbed a doorknob, and I opened the door. Um, I fell out of the car, still holding on to the door handle. It was an old DeSoto, very heavy car, so the door was extremely heavy, and probably should have, because of the weight of it and the speed of which the door opened, probably should have tossed me into the middle of the street. Uh, but it did not. I, I held on to the door, and I tried to manage uh, stopping my legs from going underneath the tire, which was my major focus and my concern. I uh, managed to do that for some minutes, I believe, but uh, eventually um, gravity caught up with me and my feet uh, got caught up underneath the tires of the car and uh, yanked me from the door handle and my head smashed against the ground and I went into a coma. And uh, I was in a coma for uh, this time, for that time, at least um, six months. So, you know, that was just the start of these near 15 uh, events that have almost taken your life. And, you know, must look back on this and then wonder why about those events and then why about, you know, this woman who comes into your life uh, It's really uh, your father's girlfriend after he's left your mom and then she uh, abuses you and not only you but your your brothers as well uh, just give us you know just an example of what she was doing yes um, uh, she was really abusive first of all she was uh, uh, she was in the army also and I believe that she was uh, a female drill sergeant so she was really really heavy and uh, she really resented the fact that she had to come into this relationship with my father, with, with uh, me and my brothers. And so rather to deal with us directly, she would lock us away so she didn't have to see us. And she would put us in the attic uh, in the dead heat of the summer for days on end. Um, we would be offered no food and no drink. And when we were suffering from dehydration often, we'd bang on the door uh, to the attic and ask please for water and uh, rather than giving us water she would pull us out of the attic and beat us severely and then put us back in the attic and shut the door Uh, the only time that we were allowed out of the attic was when my father was known when it was known that my father was coming home and then it was when it was sure because he came home so rarely so when it was sure that he was coming home uh, she would pull us out of the attic and uh, brief us on what we should never say to him we were warned that if we would ever tell uh, what she was doing to us, that she would kill us. And so out of fear, we, we never opened our mouth. So you've got some key messages in your book. Let's talk about uh, to the abused. Uh, what is your message? Yes, I, I would like to say to the abused that, um, you know, I know it's hard. I really know it's hard. And uh, while you're in the middle of that, you can't see your way out of it. But uh, I can only tell you, you have to keep your faith. Keep your faith and keep focus uh, on keep your focus on your higher power and believe in that. You have to really believe in it. Sometimes it'll take time, uh, but um, your help will come. But you have to believe. Without that, uh, it, it's a much heavier situation than it already is. With your belief, uh, you can come out of that. And then after it's all over and you step out of this abusive situation, you have to maintain your belief. And you can move on with your life, but you must believe in order to get that done. 
Now, you've had some miraculous things happen to you that reinforces everything you're saying. Yes. That's right. Well, let's also talk, what would you say to the abuser? <laughs> well, I would say, take a look at yourself. You have to. Uh, you need help, uh, and you need a lot of it. Uh, there's an old saying that uh, once a tadpole becomes a frog, he can never become a tadpole again. This also applies to abusers. Once you come out of traditional uh, discipline into, into uh, torture or heavy abuse, it's difficult to go back to traditional uh, um, discipline. You have to recognize that you stepped over the line and you're destroying or hurting severely someone else's life and you need to seek help for yourself. Uh, otherwise, I'm sure every abuser knows going into this that these things eventually will come back upon their own heads. But that's uh, 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 something that is uh, for surety. Uh, you won't get away with this your whole life, abusing people in this way. It will come back to you. The best thing that you can do, please, seek help for yourselves and stop doing this to innocent people. Now, you have a family of Timmy and Clarice. Yeah. What's the significance of having them in your book? Well, when I was seven years old, Timmy was used um, by the school that I was going to to frighten me because uh, I was one of only the few black people in the entire school. Timmy was deformed. Uh, he had um, uh, a tumor. He wasn't deformed. Well, he was deformed because of the tumor and his eye protruded off of his head a great distance, uh, more than, uh, I would say, more than six inches. And uh, it was frightening to every kid. Uh, but uh, the principal of that school and my teacher at that time uh, would uh, send Timmy out on the playground after all the, the other kids went inside because during those years it was forbidden for blacks to walk inside the school with whites. And so the whites were, uh, would go into the school, and then once they were in the school, the door would close, and normally when the door closed, that was my sign that I could come into the school. But um, for quite some time, for some months on end, when the door closed and all the white students were in the school, the principal and my teacher would send this horrific child out to frighten me because of his deformity. And the kid ran around the parking lot chasing me, trying to uh, put his eye on me, knowing that I was frightened to death. I just couldn't allow it. And eventually, uh, every time that he chased me, I would end up on the top of the monkey bars. On the last time that we met, he finally caught up with me at the top of the monkey bars, and he put his eye on my leg. And out of panic, I, I freaked out and kicked him in the eye. And uh, Timmy died. Uh, the school uh, collected the body while I was um, sitting atop of the monkey bars, and they brought the, the, this poor kid inside. They left me there. Uh, 11.15 or 11.30 in the day is when this happened, and I sat atop those monkey bars till almost uh, uh, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, later that evening, Timmy died. But in the, in the um, newspaper the next day, the school said that uh, he died from a concussion that he had uh, received from hitting his eye on the sink at home while washing his face. And uh, that was not the truth. And I would really like the, the parents uh, and the families of this poor child to know the truth of what happened to their son or daughter brother. 
Clarice was uh, a victim of uh, of a cousin of mine. Mookie is uh, was a very sick kid. I didn't realize that. Uh, I didn't even know we had a cousin named Mookie until I had run out of options uh, of which schools I could go to. I had a lot of problems because of the abuse in my childhood, and I was fighting a lot in schools, and so they would kick me out of school all the time and tell me I, could, I was not allowed to attend this school or that school. So eventually they had no options but to send me to my aunt, and she had a son named Mookie, and Mookie was extremely ill. And uh, I didn't know that, and I guess very, other, very many other people didn't know that either. But uh, on one occasion, you know, Mookie had told me that uh, this young girl who had come to visit our home on days on end, always curious and pretty as a button, would come to the house to seek him, but he would not speak to her because he just was a strange kid. <laughs> and uh, on one day, his mother had talked to him and said, please, you should entertain this young girl. She's such a pleasant, beautiful kid, one of the finest kids in the neighborhood. Why don't you spend a little time with her? And so he agreed, and uh, so he asked us all to please look through the window on this particular night because he was going to offer her a ring to uh, say to her that uh, uh, we can have a, a girlfriend-boyfriend relationship. She came that night in a white dress, and just as pretty as you can imagine, black patent leather shoes, and her hair was done up in Shirley Temple curls. And she was standing on the back porch of the house and waiting to receive the ring that Mookie had promised to give her. He asked her to close her eyes, and she closed her eyes, and then Mookie looked back at us, we were all sitting in the window, the four of us, looking out, hoping for what we thought was going to be a beautiful thing. And he looked back at his mother and began to laugh. And his mother knew that he was going to do something. I had no idea. I don't know this kid so well. But he came from behind his back with a, a very, very heavy monkey wrench and slammed this poor kid directly in the mouth. And the kid lied on, uh, lay on the ground, teeth were everywhere, and... Um, um, Queenie, Mookie's mother, ordered him in the house immediately and then ordered us all to go into our rooms and not to come out. Shut the light off in the back of the house as if we didn't know that the body was there. And um, throughout the evening, I would try to attempt to come out of my room to go look to see what had happened, if she was still there, if she managed to walk away from it. And I was told by Queenie to don't do it, stay in my room and don't come out. The entire time I was in my room, I just knew something was going to happen because of this. I did not have any idea what it would be, but I was sure something would. Some hours later, Queenie came through the house and informed everybody that the body was gone. And nobody knew whether she had walked away or if somebody came and collected her up. So. We went to bed that night uh, with the belief that everything was okay. This is what Queenie was trying to sell me, but I knew in my heart it was not okay. Something was seriously wrong. At around 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, police cars came from everywhere. There must have been more than 10, and they surrounded the house and opened the doors, and they were out with their pistols, and they had uh, a man with a megaphone and asked the Queenie to come out of the house. And uh, eventually, well, she came through the house and told us all to hide under the beds. So I hid under my bed, and I was in great fear. And then an uh, uh, FBI agent, I believe, came into the house and spoke with her. But because um, this young Clarice came to the house alone, no one had proof that Butchie or Mookie did this to her. 
so they could not take him away that night and they left lacking evidence and then Queenie brought us all into the kitchen and told me oh they were just here because of something that happened with me some years ago but uh, there's no problem here everything is alright everybody go to bed and uh, tomorrow's another day so but I knew in my heart that she told me that because she didn't want me to know the truth and the next morning I, st I stood up to go to school got into school finished my day and I came home and they had packed up everything and left on the run Oh, I know that they knew that uh, he had killed this poor child and they had ran because of that but the thing that was deeper than that is the entire time the, the couple of months that I had lived with this family anytime anyone came to the door to seek uh, uh, just a visit they would hide Butchie in the, in the basement or hide him in, in the room or hide him because it wasn't the first time he did something like this and that's what I realized after the incident was finished. And so this is really important for me because I know uh, how wonderful this, this child is, how beautiful this child was. And uh, the parents need to know what happened to this child. They need to know it. And they need to go to, Cal uh, to um, 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 Denver, Colorado, and pick this young man up. And I think when they pick him up, they will realize that they have been looking for someone looking for him for a very long time and I promise you it wasn't the only person that he did like this I'm so sure of it from what I've seen well we've been listening to Noah Jacobson he's the author of his book The Pop-Up Kid Secret Memoirs of the Intentionally Abused uh, he said of 50 years of unexplainable events he's also had accounts where he calls them unseen powers that have pulled him from the teeth of death more than 15 times. Credible book. Noah, tell us how to get your book. Yes, right now the book is available over Amazon.com and you just uh, search for the pop-up kid and there it'll be. Well, thank you so much for being with us on Author Talk. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, you'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Success, Wealth, and Happiness, A Proving Guide to Better Your Life. And the author is Gary Henson, and Gary joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Gary. Hello there, Steve. Great to have you with us. 
Success, wealth, and happiness, I think we all can relate to those three great, great goals to have. And you're going to give us these 10 principles that can help us get there. You asked a big question, and I think every one of us needs to ask ourselves, look in the mirror and say, are you unsatisfied with your current position in life? Well, there's something you can do about it, obviously. Uh, And what you can do is follow what Gary has, uh, through incredible experiences, successful experiences. And you can fill us in on the details about your background, Gary. In fact, let's start there. Give us some of your background and and then how this book came about. Well, I... uh... I'd gone to school at uh, East Denver High School and got a football scholarship to the University of Colorado and went to uh, uh, to Colorado, played under Sonny Grandelius, uh, um, who was a very successful uh, college coach. And uh, then I was drafted uh, by the um, uh, Los Angeles Rams, but actually traded to Philadelphia in my uh, first year, Philadelphia Eagles, and I went there. Uh, played, had a successful year, played with Sonny Jurgensen, Tommy McDonald, Irv Cross, and a lot of uh, great Eagles players, uh, Pete Retzlaff. And uh, then, uh, unfortunately, I uh, I got torn ligaments in my ankle, got hurt, uh, and uh, uh, the second year, um, I came back to Denver, uh, where I, I had a job as a stockbroker, and, uh, but my injury healed, I was able to sign on with Denver, uh, played with the Denver Broncos, uh, 1964, had a, uh, a great year with them, uh, played with guys like Lionel Taylor, uh, um, anyhow, it was, a, uh, it was a, a great experience, uh, you know, there's, uh, hundreds of thousands, uh, of kids that, uh, uh, millions of kids really that, uh, play football, uh, from Pony League up through junior high school, high school, college, never get to play pro football and so it was just a great learning experience for me and something that I uh, will always appreciate and uh, uh, treasure but early on in life I had realized that uh, um, I had read a a book uh, called The Power of Positive Thinking by Dr. Norman Benson Peel and uh, my father had always told me how positive thinking could lead you to uh, to, to do a lot of great things in your life. And so I just have always believed in, in, uh, in positive thinking. And the more positive, uh, you know, we all face challenges as we, uh, go through life. But the more positive you think, you think, the happier you will be. And I think that's the, the crux of the, of the book is that number one, we all want to be happy. That's more important than anything else. It's more important money, success, uh, what? You can be happy uh, with a lot of different aspects of life, uh, and that's what I want to try to get across uh, to people is that uh, with this power of positive thinking, with motivation, with inspiration, uh, you can do so very much more than what you think that you can do if you just have a plan and sit down and work that plan out and be determined to uh, be successful with your plan one step at a time, one day at a time. Uh, that's That's been the key 
to what I had done over the years, and that's why I wrote the book, to see if maybe I could help some others do the same thing. Who is your main target audience, do you think? Well, basically, I believe that this book, uh, my book, is targeted toward 20, 30, and 40-year-olds. Yes, I've had teenagers uh, that have bought the book, and yes, there's 50- and 60-year-olds, and uh, maybe even more. I think everybody that buys the book is going to get something out of it, something positive, something good uh, out of it. Uh, um, but the target audience, to answer your question directly, uh, I believe is 20, 30, 40-year-olds, um, you know, college graduates uh, on up. Well, you've had 50 years of experience, and you know the hows and whys of success, and you know you, you can make a lot of money, uh, but that doesn't necessarily translate into happiness. Though it is a, obviously, uh, I think everybody wants to uh, be able to take care of themselves well. Uh, let's get into these ten principles. Uh, we may not have time to cover them all, but really give everyone your uh, thinking and, and your uh, planning of, of why you selected these 10 principles. Let's, let's start with this first one. Crystallize your thinking. Now, explain what you mean by that. Well, uh, I, you have to uh, be focused. You have to have a singleness of purpose uh, in order to uh, to succeed with the with the goal, you can have many many goals, uh, but you need to take them one at a time, and you have to have uh, uh, a crystal clear mind in order to do this. Most people uh, are mumbo jumbo, running around doing this, doing that, uh, disorganized in, in in a lot of ways, and I was that um, for many many years. Um, I just couldn't have papers everywhere and this, that, and the other. Uh, and then finally I said, well, um, I said, no, I'm going to change this just one thing at a time. It's like uh, the, the people that uh, got a messy house and they decided to clean up one room at a time until they get the whole house clean and they keep it that way. And it's kind of the same way with your, uh, with your mind. You gotta, you gotta crystallize your thinking. You gotta make sure that you're uh, crystal clear in all of your thinking and get a singleness of uh, uh, purpose in, in uh, reaching these goals and uh, um, do what I uh, call um, you know your um, your your success uh, but the, the success that you will have uh, in your life is going to be directly attributed to how you think and uh, that, uh, that that's a very important uh, aspect of, of your life is, is to make sure that you are thinking uh, and always think uh, in, in the positive manner and this self-assurance system what I call SAS self-assurance system uh, is something that you will keep with you forever uh, once you get uh, started and and get this crystallizing your thinking uh, down, you'll see that this, these things just happen to work better. 
We, I think we've all heard how important it is to uh, set goals. Why is it so important to write them down and, and really, I guess, crystallize those as well? Well, uh, I think that's the, uh, another very important uh, um, point that, uh, that, that we bring up. Uh, in order to, I have I found that in order for people to succeed uh, with uh, with a list of goals, they need to uh, write down exactly what they want to do. If they can see it in writing and look at it uh, every single day and say, "This is a goal I'm going to have. I'm going to 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 reach this goal." Uh, there's a lot of people that espouse that, uh, you know, I, I've already reached this goal. Well, I, I don't quite believe that. I think that it's important just to have this in front of you. This is where I'm going to be. It may be six months, a year, six uh, years, or ten years from now, or even longer. But I'm going to reach this goal. And having a specific uh, goal uh, written down and the... Uh, steps to reach that goal and that you know that you have uh, the uh, faith and determination and ability to get there uh, then just makes everything even more positive when you uh, you know when you start that first success uh, the, the first the first uh, uh, movement toward a successful goal is writing it down we can uh, say we have goals, we can talk about them, but until we write them down, we really don't think through every everything that has to happen to reach those goals, I guess. Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think uh, success breeds uh, uh, more success. And, you know, you alone are responsible for your own success, and the feel of success is something that, um, will make us uh, so very, very uh, um, happy uh, alone. It, it's not necessarily the wealth. It's not necessarily uh, uh, all about the money. It's that I, I achieved this uh, goal no matter how, uh, you know, whether it's a promotion, uh, whether it's a, uh, getting a degree, whether it's um, buying a company, whether it's starting your own company, whatever that it may be, uh, there is a, a certain amount of satisfaction that comes with uh, reaching any goal. And then you can set more goals. And then you can set more goals, and then you can set more goals. So uh, that's the whole point, is we have to, uh, we have to be able to uh, to, to write down our goals, uh, we reach the goals, and then we can go further and further and further, uh, and, and, and people will uh, look at us and say, you know, that guy is really focused, he, is, he, he knows what he's doing, he's dedicated, he's going to, uh, uh, to go far in life. You talk about this sincere desire, you also talk about an intense inner drive is that really the power behind it all? Well, yes, it is, Steve. I think the uh, one of the great words in the English language, in my opinion, is persistence. 
you just keep after it and keep after it and keep after it, and nothing is going to stop you no matter what, uh, you know, what obstacles uh, come up. You, you know, if there's a will, there's a way. Uh, you know, if it is to be, it is up to me. Uh, you know, you, you, just these these uh, these little stepping stones that uh, that 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 uh, you know allow you to reach uh, the penthouse. Uh, you just got to take one step at a time, one goal at a time. You reach it, you succeed. Uh, one of the important things, uh, you know, of course, the financial aspect uh, is making sure that. Uh, uh, you know your house is in order as far as as taking care of living within your means and uh, and, and saving and investing and doing uh, the, the the things that you need to do with with the financial uh, aspect and that builds a tremendous amount of self confidence as well and the next thing you find out is well uh, you know I can make more money doing this and then with the money I can do this and do this and do this and all of a sudden uh, the self-confidence is uh, is greater. The the intensity is greater. The persistence is greater, and uh, you know you just never ever give up. So it takes a definite plan. That's a tough four-letter yeah, word. A lot of people don't like that four-letter word plan. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, if you have enough self-confidence and faith in yourself uh, that you can you can do this. Uh, you may not be successful uh, in your first uh, run. You may not be able to uh, to just go out and and uh, get this dream job. And uh, but but you can you can work as long as it's a goal, as long as you have it written down, as long as you know that, that at some point in time, someday you will accomplish this. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's just a given, and you you just vigorously. Uh, go after it, you know, one day at a time, one hour at a time. You just go after it every single day, uh, with the same intensity and the same confidence, uh, and, and, and just remember that, uh, that you are unique in your ability, uh, to, uh, do something. And then pretty soon, uh, this, this, uh, uh self-confidence and intensity and uh, determination uh, and inspiration it, 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 it just almost comes naturally after you do it for a while we've been listening to Gary Henson he's the author of his book Success, Wealth and Happiness a proven guide to better your life Gary's got 50 years of experience Gary tell us how to get your book well um, we have a, a, our own website here it's www.guidetobetteryourlife.com the book is available through the publisher Author House just AuthorHouse.com it's available through Amazon uh, Barnes & Noble um, and um, it's uh, it's easy to go onto the uh, computer and uh, just type in uh, "success, wealth, or happiness." Uh, uh, it'll it'll pop up there. But uh, www.guidetobetteryourlife.com. 
uh, it, it's uh, on Twitter. Uh, it's at the number two better your life, um, and um, uh, Amazon is probably where most people go. Well, thank you so much, Gary, for being with us on Author Talk. Well, I really appreciate it, Steve. It's been my pleasure. And I know one thing I'd like to leave with uh, the listeners is, uh, you know, if you if you never try, you don't know how successful that you can be. But buy my book, read it. I know it's changed lives already. I've had people tell me that it's changed their life. It can change yours as well. <laughs> 